You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Back in the bad old days, they used to throw gay men and lesbians and other queer people out of the army and out of the State Department and the Department of the Interior and the Department of Energy and every other department because we were a security risk. And we were a security risk because we could be blackmailed. And we could be blackmailed for being gay or queer because we could be fired for being gay or queer, which made us a blackmailable security risk that needed to be fired. The logic here can really make your head hurt if you think about it, which no one did for decades except the victims of this discriminatory logic, logic that went like this. You can't serve in the military because you're a security risk, and you're a security risk because you can't serve in the military. And the same went for the Department of State and Defense and Energy. Anyway, I was thinking about the bad old days, the Lavender Scare in the 1950s and the 1960s, when gay men and lesbians were thought to be communists or assumed to be communists and purged from federal agencies, which went on from actually the 50s through the 1980s, and then the ban on gays and lesbians serving in the military before 1994, and don't ask, don't tell, the law of the land banning gays and lesbians from serving in the military from 1994 to 2011. All that led to anti-gay witch hunts on military bases. Careers were ruined. Lives were ruined. But in some cases, activists were created. The first picket line for gay rights outside the White House in 1965 was organized by a guy named Frank Kameny, who became a gay rights activist after he was outed and fired by the federal government and couldn't get another job. He didn't go away and die. He fought back and made history. So I was thinking about all of that while reading about Sam Brinton over the weekend. Sam Brinton is an LGBTQ rights activist. They're an outspoken survivor of a brutal conversion therapy program. They've testified at the UN against conversion therapy, and they used to work with the Trevor Project, worked there until very recently. That's the queer youth advocacy organization that runs hotlines for queer kids in crisis. Sam is gender fluid, they're bisexual, and they're out about everything, including their kinks. Sam recently left the Trevor Project and accepted a position with the Department of Energy because Sam's not just a survivor of conversion therapy and an activist and a kinkster. Sam Britton holds a bachelor's degree in nuclear engineering from Kansas State University and a master's degree in nuclear science from MI-fucking-T. And now they're Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy at the Department of Energy, a post they're qualified for. Indeed, Sam Brinton is considered one of the top experts in the field of nuclear waste disposal. The Trump administration, no fan of the queers, sought advice from Sam because they're the expert. And we need all the expertise we can get in this area because we're probably gonna be building a lot of nuclear power plants in the coming years to help get us off coal and oil and natural gas. The world is small, the queer world is even smaller. I've met Sam, they seem like a perfectly decent, thoughtful person, and they're out about everything. No one could blackmail Sam. But they could, and this weekend the right wing did, try to organize a smear campaign targeting Sam. Some right-wing trolls over the weekend pushed out photos of Sam, non-pornographic photos with some guys in pup play gear. 
Sam was giving a talk about being a handler, that is, the top or dom in a pup play scene, and it blew up all over conservative news sites with headlines like, Biden unleashes dog roleplay fetishist on key nuclear post. Here's the thing about nerds. Nerds like Sam, science nerds, and Sam identifies as a nerd. Science people in general, they're often really kinky. Almost everyone I've ever met in STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, a pervert. The kink thing seems to go hand in hand or hand on leash with an interest in science. It makes sense if you think about it for a second. People into STEM like to tinker with the way things work, figure things out, take them apart, change things a little bit, put them back together. Kinks, particularly power play kinks, are about tinkering with the way human relationships work, taking them apart, putting them back together. I don't think I've ever given a moment's thought to the sex life of a past Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy at the Department of Energy. I couldn't name anyone who's held that post before. I wasn't aware that that was even a job, but now, of course, I know it's a job, as do a lot of readers of these conservative websites, where I read a few stories about Sam, and the theme that ran through almost all of them was outrage, of course, always outrage at having to think about this, having to think about this gender-fluid person in heels engaged in pup play. But if you don't want to think about pup play or gender-fluid assigned male at birth bisexuals wearing lipstick and rocking stilettos, it's not Sam conservatives should be mad at for existing. It's not Sam that made you think about this. It's the Washington Examiner, the American conservative, the post-millennial. All those conservative outlets, they want you thinking about Sam. And you might, if you're a conservative and a listener of mine, and I sometimes hear from conservative listeners, so I know you're out there, you might someday want to stop and ask yourself why all of these conservative websites want you thinking about pup play or the sexual anarchy of the Super Bowl halftime show. They want you to be outraged about that so you won't be outraged about health care or the housing crisis or climate change or threats to our democracy and the threat to our democracy, the threat to our way of life, isn't the unblackmailable gender-fluid kinkster in heels working at the Department of Energy, but the unhinged orange-faced gangster in golf whites lurking at Mar-a-Lago. Zooming out for a second, push a kid, like Sam was pushed, into conversion therapy. Tell that kid who he is or who she is or who they are is wrong and awful and sick and sinful. Try to convince that kid to hate themselves. And maybe you'll keep that kid in the closet for a few more years or the rest of their life. But just as likely, more likely, that kid is going to come out. And some of those kids who survive that and come out, they're going to dial that queer shit they were told was wrong right up to 11. Right up to 11,000. Oh, you didn't want me to be gay? I'll give you gay. I'll stuff so much gay down your throat they'll be serving your liver in French restaurants. I'm not saying all queer people who are ferociously queer or genderqueer are dialing it up to 11 for revenge. I'm not saying that about Sam, who I've met again, perfectly nice. Most of them, like Sam, just being themselves. But when you make someone feel uncomfortable in their own skin, don't be surprised when they decide that your discomfort is a price they're willing to pay to be themselves. All right, coming up on this week's show, I am so very excited to share the conversation I had with Corinne and Christina from the groundbreaking, totally excellent, one of my favorite podcasts, Guys We Fucked. 
We talked about dating younger guys, dating sexual prudes, getting laid when you aren't so pretty, how we all have daddies, so we all have daddy issues, and more. You can hear some of our conversation on the micro. If you want to hear all of it, go subscribe to the Magnum Savage Lovecast. Twice as much show, no ads, more guests, more questions, more calls. Subscribe to the Savage Lovecast Magnum Edition at savage.love. Hi, Dan and Nancy. I am a 23-year-old queer woman living in the Rocky Mountain area, and I have a question about COVID life habits and intimacy. So me and my boyfriend have been dating for like two and a half years, living together for about one, and in light of the pandemic and an effort to reduce our risk over the course of the last seven or eight months, our routine has turned into staying home, watching TV and playing video games you know, cooking dinner together, otherwise having a really friendly and compassionate relationship. The issue is this, we barely have sex anymore. We're able to talk about it. We're both really interested in each other. We want to do it more. But where we're at now feels like we're just more friends than anything. When we do try and get down to business, we both feel too silly and just make each other laugh and can never really get in the mood. We've tried to take PIV off the table and start slow with just makeout sessions or oral, but we pretty much just forget or don't really feel up to it. Or we try to initiate sex and it's like we've forgotten how to do it with each other and become discouraged and give up. I do want to be clear that this is not solely my boyfriend's fault at all. It's truly become a really low priority for both of us. How do we get our mojo back? I'm not super stressing out about it, and I know we can get into the groove again. I'm just hoping you have some advice for me to help kickstart our sex life back into motion. If you know you two can get back in the groove again, I'd be curious to hear how you think that's going to happen, because I'm not sure... What to tell you? You say you know you're going to get back in the groove again. You know that you and your boyfriend are going to be fucking again, but you don't know how to get there. And you've done a couple of things that I might recommend. Take PAV off the table. uh, Have some mutual masturbation sessions. See where that goes. Take the, the pressure off and penetrative sex often comes bundled up with a lot of pressures and expectations. And sometimes it's more joyful. Sometimes it's just easier to be intimate and to be sexual without that sex having to terminate at um, penetrative sex. But you've already tried that. Seems to me just two and a half years and a year in living together, if you've arrived at this stage, that that might mean the relationship, the sexual and romantic relationship has run its course and you two are really good friends, maybe partners, in an intimate, companionate, sexless relationship. But yeah, the sex isn't there and may not ever return. My one kind of Hail Mary pass for you is not going to be what a lot of people I think might be expecting me to recommend right now, which is to get out there and fuck other people and see what happens. But my recommendation to you approaches that, tiptoes up to it, but falls short of it. You two have been isolating at home alone throughout the pandemic. Studies have shown that A lot of people had kind of different reactions to the pressures of the pandemic. For some people, it was a libido killer. Other people found themselves hornier during the pandemic. That was a big problem in a lot of relationships. If someone whose libido flatlined was in a romantic relationship with somebody who was horny as fuck throughout the pandemic, 
yeah, that created a lot of conflict. That was a real engine for conflict and dissatisfaction. It seems to me, or one possible hypothesis here, is that you and your boyfriend were lucky enough to be in a relationship where you both flatlined during the pandemic, where his libido tanked and your libido tanked. And what do you do? Well, I think you give it a little more time, see if those libidos kick back into gear. But I think the thing you can do to jumpstart those libidos is safely, hopefully you're vaxxed and boosted, get out of the house, go places. One of the things that really helps people in, I don't even want to call your relationship a long-term relationship at only two and a half years, but one of the things that helps people in long-term relationships where the spark has kind of dimmed, if not gone out, is to put themselves in a situation where they're going to see their partner through the eyes of a stranger, through someone else's eyes. That doesn't mean you have to go to a sex party. That doesn't mean you have to go out swinging. It does mean you need to get out in the world, go, what do you like to do? Do you like to dance? Do you like to go see live music? What do you two like to do? What were you doing before you met each other? Put yourselves out there in those situations. Don't cling to each other. Allow each other to be perceived as individuals, not to tease single and available people, but to create opportunities where you can maybe get your flirt on with somebody else. He can maybe get his flirt on with somebody else. And you can see through someone else's eyes how desirable your partner is objectively. And that may awaken something in you. When we're in a long-term relationship, when we live together during the pandemic, we're together 24 Seven, there's not a lot to stoke healthy jealousy. You know, when your partner goes to work every day and they come home and they've moved through the world and they've seen other people and they've hung out with their work friends and you've done the same, there is this, I think, unconscious reptile brain awareness that your partner may have encountered other people, other opportunities. And there is this desire to assert your claim to your partner, your rights to your partner, there's this desire to climb on top of them and fuck the shit out of them when you see them at the end of the day or at the end of a busy week. Because some part of you is aware they've been moving through the world and other people have clocked them, maybe even flirted with them. Well, you can bring that out of the reptile brain and into the, the higher functioning parts of your brain. You can intentionally go places, do things where other people might flirt with your partner and you can induce some of that healthy jealousy, controlled jealousy that really inflames desire. Esther Perel says desire means to want. The paradox of a long-term relationship, a committed, sexually exclusive long-term relationship, and again, I don't think 2.5 months is it, but I'll accept the premise, is how do you want what you have? You have your boyfriend. He's there 24-7. You're there 24-7. How do you spark desire. Well, taking PIV off the table alone, that didn't do it. Giving each other permission just to be intimate, make out a little bit, maybe a little mutual masturbation, that didn't do it. Maybe getting out of the house, maybe flirting with some other people, maybe that'll do it. And if that doesn't do it, maybe your friends. Hi, big guy on the West Coast here. For the last 18 months or so, I've sort of been involved in what could be called a, a companionate relationship with a woman with a close friend here. We talk all the time. We 
with the pandemic alleviating a little bit, we, we spend some time together. But it's always been sort of known that that she she was interested in, in a romantic relationship with me, and I I wasn't interested in in that kind of a relationship. Now I'm hoping to begin doing some dating again, and she she's not happy about it. And at the same time, if we're going to hang out, she has some health conditions that make her a little more sensitive to, to to the pandemic and more more concerned about the pandemic. If we're going to hang out, I, I need to sort of give her some idea of how much when I'm spending time with, with other people indoors. And it it's just become a, a difficult situation. I'd like for us to be able to preserve this, this very important relationship in, in both of our lives, but at the same time, I want to see other people and, and see other people romantically. Your call, your predicament, your problem, your situation is a really good example of when and how it can be unintentionally cruel to hang out with someone that you know is interested in you romantically, that you know would like more from you than you're capable of giving them. And that can seem like the nice, kind, loving, generous, friendly thing to do. Like, hey, I know you're crushing on me, but... I'm not interested in you romantically, but I'll be your friend. And sometimes people accept our friendships and they're able to downgrade their expectations and their hopes for the relationship and really enjoy that friendship. And other times people kind of hang out in that friendship, hoping we'll change our minds about them, hoping we'll come around and become interested in them romantically, the same way they're interested in us. And the longer we let that go on, the worse it is for that person that we were never interested in romantically and haven't become interested in romantically when we finally start dating someone else seriously, when the possibility for a a relationship, when their false hopes are finally irrevocably dashed, it's hard for them. That is why it's not always the kind thing to do to stay in a friendship with somebody who wants more, to be in a friendship or create a friendship, a forge a friendship, as you did in this case, with someone that you know wants more. That is not to say that everybody who offers a friendship when somebody says they were interested in us romantically is being cruel. You know, like I said, sometimes people are able to reset their expectations and really get into that friendship and enjoy that friendship. And at other times, you know, sometimes you're friends with somebody and they're holding out hopes that you'll want something more eventually, and you do. A point comes where you suddenly start to take a romantic, even sexual interest in that person, and yeah, their false hopes in those cases turned out to be legit hopes, not false at all. But you, caller, you know that's not the situation here, that you do not have romantic feelings for this woman. And you never will. And you would like to get out there and start dating women that you are attracted to, that you enjoy spending time with, and that you are sexually and, again, romantically attracted to. And she's going to find that very upsetting. Yeah, there's no salvaging this relationship. Preserve what? You say, how do I preserve this? Preserve what? Preserve a, a relationship that isn't what she wants and in the end is only going to make her miserable. It's going to make her miserable to stand by and watch you date other people. She's also not going to be able to be 
the kind of friend that you might need while you're out there dating other people. You're going to have to hide your relationships from her so as not to hurt her feelings, so as not to upset her. Yeah, that's not the relationship she wanted, and it's not the friendship or a friendship that you deserve. So you need to level with her and say, I'm beginning to date other people. If you don't want to hang out with me in real life, face-to-face, because of the risks for COVID, because you're she's immunocompromised in some way or at greater risk for a terrible outcome if she were to contract COVID, we don't have to hang out face-to-face. If it's painful for you to hang out with me, knowing now that nothing romantic is in the cards or really was ever in the cards, if that's painful or humiliating for you, we can and probably should say goodbye. We can and probably should thank each other for the emotional support and the friendship and the connection that we were for each other, that we created with each other during the pandemic. And it was helpful and beneficial to both of us. But now, you trying to put limits on who I can see, that's unacceptable to me. Me dating other people and that being known to you or being right in front of your face, that's just unacceptable to you. So our friendship has reached its conclusion. We've reached the end. Yeah. You're going to have to break up with your friend and she's going to have to let go of her false hopes that she might have had something more with you. And it's going to be painful and it's going to suck. But the alternative, you sneaking around, not dating anybody, her being endlessly hurt by watching you date other people, that's no good either. A clean, honest break is better. Hi, Dan. 26-year-old lesbian, cis woman calling from the Bay Area. In November last year, an ex-partner and I broke up after two years. Sort of on and off again relationship. On and off again because of jealousy, lack of communication, and we didn't see our futures aligning. So there were apprehensions, mostly on my part. I felt checked out, unhappy, not myself, and isolated from everything in my own life. As of a few months ago, I've been spending a lot of time with this woman I've known for three years, and we've been really good friends for those three years. I've always had an attraction towards her, and she felt the same the entire time, but we never said anything to each other. We took a trip together to see a mutual friend in December, and there was a spark, so to speak, at the end of the trip. So strong that we were both alarmed and really unsure what to do. However, we both leaned into it these past few months with caution as we're both fresh out of relationships. I've come to terms that the previous relationship wasn't working way before it ended and stuck to it and tried to make it work only for the reason that we had been through so much together so it must work. I was wondering what your thoughts are about moving on after a breakup. Is it based on situation or is there a one size fits all? Do you know what confirmation bias is? Confirmation bias, the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, recall information in a way that confirms one's prior beliefs or values. Maybe you've seen people using this expression on the internet lately. A lot of very online people will say, confirms your priors. They're talking about confirmation bias here or there on the internet. And I think when it comes to rebound relationships, there's a whole lot of confirmation bias going on. Somebody gets into a rebound relationship and it doesn't work out as most relationships do not. And they say, ah, yeah, right. Rebound relationship. I should have known better. I should have seen that coming or I did see that coming. I worried about that and I was right and I shouldn't have gotten into that relationship. 
But if you get into a rebound relationship and it works out, you're probably not going to dwell on the fact that it was a rebound relationship forever. And my concern with this bias about rebound relationships is that people may, just because they're so invested in this idea that four months after a breakup that had been coming for a long time is too soon to get involved in someone else because, oh my God, rebound relationship, that people may not be getting into their next relationship, their next wonderful relationship, their next very successful short-term relationship or long-term relationship because, because, because of this arbitrary bullshit that a rebound relationship can never work out. When we think about it actually for a minute, we probably know a lot of people in our own lives who are in what technically could be regarded as rebound relationships. Your humble sex and relationship podcast host, Dan Savage, host of the Savage Lovecast. I'm in a rebound relationship that is now 28 years and change old. Right before I met Terry, I broke up with the guy. I didn't leave the house for a couple of months. I was super depressed. My ex-boyfriend left the house constantly, sucked a million dicks. No shame, no shade. We all grieve in our own way. He grieved in that way, the way he processed his grief. Sounds a lot more fun than the way I processed my grief. I was a little jealous of him, actually, at the time, and still am. I missed out on some dick. But the first night I went out, I met Terry. Rebound relationship. Still going on. And I, I rarely think of my relationship with Terry as a rebound relationship, but technically, it is. So, this woman that you've vibed with for a while, where there's always been kind of a spark, where because you're a lesbian and you couldn't get out of your previous relationship until you'd done your due diligence because of, also you might want to look up sunk cost fallacy because you've already been through so much together and you really wanted to give it every opportunity, leave no stone unturned, <laughs> give that relationship, I guess, all the rope it needed to hang itself ultimately in the end. You haven't pursued things with this woman. Well, now, go for it. You broke up with your ex in November. It is... February. What are you waiting for? March? April? When is it not going to be too soon? And if not this woman, some other woman that you care about less, because then if it's a rebound relationship and it ends, because it's a rebound relationship, please look up confirmation bias again after that relationship. But then how much longer will you have to wait before you can begin to date this woman that you are actually attracted to and probably should have dumped your ex-girlfriend a year and a half ago or two years ago to pursue things with. Go for it. Date this woman. There are no guarantees. It might work out. It might not work out. But if it doesn't work out, it's not going to be because rebound relationships never work out. I'm here from the future to tell you that sometimes they do. Hi, Dan. I am a 42-year-old this woman living in Northern California. And I recently started hanging out with a guy who is nine years my junior. I have dated younger guys before and had compatibility. This guy, recently we got into a conversation about the fact that I like to be dominated, which, you know, as you and I both know, is like really not uncommon at all. And it's pretty vanilla, frankly. Like I don't, you know, I would not consider myself like an extremely kinky person, but I was offended by the fact that this young man said that basically anybody that wants to be choked or wants to be spit on 
or is into, you know, that type of power play has daddy issues or is just kind of a screwed up person. And I, you know, of course, had to defend tanksters and anybody who is into anything that isn't super vanilla because I found it extremely rude and offensive and to be a huge blanket statement. Now, I'm just kind of curious. My my response to him was to just basically say, you know, you need to do some research. You need to maybe look into sex positivity and have a better understanding of kinks. But I'm wondering what you think would be a good place to start. What's a good jumping off point? I, I have no idea what to suggest to this person. I don't think he's going to be compatible with me, but I, I do think he needs to educate himself because what he said was really offensive. Any books that you suggest? Your podcast, like a certain, certain, you know, episode? I would love to know what you think. Joining me to help tackle this question, comedians Corrine Fisher and Christina Hutchinson, hosts of the wildly popular trailblazing genre-creating podcast, Guys We've Fucked, the anti-slut-shaming podcast. Their new special, Our Special Day, is live now on their YouTube channel. Hey, Corrine. Hey, Christina. It's so great to see you both again. You too, Dan. We are huge fans and we listen to you on the road all the time. You are so fucking funny. You could be a stand-up comedian. Ah, well, thank you. My, the, the, it's low-hanging fruit. You know, if you talk about sex, it makes people tense and people want to laugh. So it's kind of, it's not always that hard to be pretty funny when, <laughs> you know, people are asking me questions about fist-fucking and snowballing. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about guys we fucked. Uh, on the off chance that any of my listeners aren't already familiar with your show that I was on a million years ago, um, what is Guys We Fucked? How did Guys We Fucked get started? Uh, guys We Fucked, I mean, the impetus for Guys We Fucked was when I um, got dumped by what who I thought was the love of my life in a Panera Bread. Um, and then I had like a real, I had a real emotional spiral that lasted what some, uh, professionals and friends may say is too long. Um, and then I decided that I needed, cause I'm like very student-like and I decided that I needed to go back and interview every boyfriend, every sexual partner I've had to find out what I was doing wrong. Cause to me, like getting dumped, I was obviously doing something wrong. Um, and Christina and I had been working on a lot of comedic projects at the time. And I was, I convinced her that this would be a good idea to just call, have all our former lovers sit down and have a very intimate interview with us. And she had experienced some slut shaming. And so we combined those thoughts together and guys, we fucked the anti slut shaming podcast was born. Yeah. And it's obviously branched out to, to more than just yes. uh, deposing guys you'd fuck to figure out what you were doing wrong. And yeah. let's, Cut to the chase. What were you doing wrong, if anything? Oh, yeah, I wasn't Picking doing the wrong anything people. wrong. I just like wasn't <laughs> compatible with that guy. It's fine. He's married. He has a kid now. Everything's fine. I'm happy for him. <laughs> it's so funny when you're yeah. in heartache. You're like, I'll never love again. You always think you'll never love again, but you always do, as we have learned over the last eight years. <laughs> I have told people all the time when they're devastated and heartbroken and think that they will never climb out of that. Sure. How many people do you know? whose hearts got stomped in the exact same way, who are fine now. And it's almost literally everyone you know. Everyone I've yeah. ever met. Yes. But didn't Tim Gunn stop having sex because he was so heartbroken? <laughs> I, if, I had to pull some oh, up. No, that's so sad. <laughs> I think so. My mom loves Tim Gunn, so she shared that fact. So it's a game of telephone. But I believe that he's celibate because, due to a broken heart. Like he was just tired of getting heartbroken. Oh. And I kind of admire that. Like the willpower it takes to never fall in love again is admirable. <laughs> 
I, I said everybody who's had their heart stomped look around is fine. I didn't say they were partnered again. Some people's version right. of fine is to be alone, is to be single. That makes them happier. And I think that's the case with Mr. Gunn. <laughs> Go for Excellent him. point. Uh, so let's uh, let's quick, let's just to give some sex advice. I wanted to have uh, you both on uh, to, to plug your new special, our special day, and to uh, make you get into my hot seat. That sounds gross. <laughs> to make you give some advice with me. How about that? Yeah. So this, ca- this caller, 42-year-old woman, nine years younger guy, she likes to get thrown around a little bit during sex. What's the jumping off point? I, I think the jumping off point here is get the fuck away from this guy. He's not worth the time or the effort. You don't have to fix him. Yes. Curious uh, what you guys would recommend. Yeah, I think he's projecting onto her and he's not worth... I I think it's great, the campsite rule that you always talk about, Dan. It's when you when you have the energy in you to, to make that person better, to educate that person, instill some knowledge into them. But he's projecting. He has issues with... with he, he has this thing with uh, if you have power play issues, you have a da- daddy issues. We all have daddy issues and mommy issues and life is a dance with power. Yes, and we all have fucking daddies. Yeah. And everybody has issues about their parents that you can separate into the daddy box and the mommy box. Good luck to this young man who's 34 <laughs> years old. That's not that fucking young. He should be over this shit already. Finding right. a partner who doesn't have mommy or daddy or both issues. Yeah. yeah. I think she should go younger because I'm actually was really surprised that a younger guy had kind of such archaic views about such a, as she says, kind of a vanilla kink. Um, because I find younger people, I'm dating a, a guy 12 years younger than me right now. I'm 36. He's 24. And I, the reason I kind of ventured into that area was because number one, they're a lot better at communicating. And this is, of course, stereotypically very good communicators and kind of don't have these archaic views about kinks and just are willing to, you know, put fingers and butts and things. And it doesn't yeah. mean anything more than you like a finger in your butt. Uh, so my advice is go younger and kick this guy to the curb. <laughs> but is there a point at which you're going to go too young? Well, it depends uh, what I mean, you not, want in life. Not illegal. Uh, I no, mean, not ali- not there illegal. is a lot of. <laughs> Writing being done now about a kind of sexual conservatism that's creeped in with Gen Z. Yeah. One of the things that a lot of Gen Z people, at least the very online ones, the discourse on Twitter, would have a problem with a, a, a relationship with as significant an age gap as the one you describe. Yeah. All of us in the sex positive movement, you guys, me, others, it feels like coming up behind us, there's this kind of sex negativity or something there's definitely a stigma when I talk about it, but it's funny because I know so many men well into their forties who are dating women in their twenties and it's no problem. But I think there isn't like there's for some reason an issue when the woman is older. And I sensed it a lot when I was started talking about it in my standup on stage, like just, you know, the very immediate reaction of the audience. Like there's no, they don't have time to hide their judgment basically. And it's a joke because I think if I was a 36-year-old man dating a 24-year-old uh, woman, they would be like, oh, oh, that's basically the same age. But when I do it, it's like a middle school uh, teacher is trying to fuck one of her students. <laughs> and not like. for nothing. I've known Corinne for, we've been working together for over a decade. I've seen all of her boyfriends come and go. This one now, who's 12 years younger than her, <laughs> has the best attitude. He's always happy to be there. He's always got a smile on his face. He didn't know what Rocky Horror Picture Show was. And she like educated. And I was like, he got, she got to see Rocky Horror Picture through his eyes. It's the best relationship that I've seen her in. 
You know, you know, there's always power imbalances in relationships. And these days on the left, there seems to be this hyper consciousness about controlling for any power imbalance as mm -hmm. if that was possible. I think you have to be conscious of them. You have to be considerate. Sure. You have to, you know, question your actions and what you're doing to make sure you're not unintentionally exploiting a power differential. But yeah. the idea of there being a relationship out there where there are no imbalances of power on both sides, either side somebody having more power in one area, somebody having more power in another, that's just human relationships. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. But getting back to the caller, <laughs> you know, let, let's just enter in something into evidence that's not one of the facts and evidence. Let's assume this, she's 42, the guy 34-ish, 33. Let's assume he's scorching hot and she really wants to fuck him and she's stumbling over this. Is it worth it if he's scorching hot and she really wants to fuck him? To you know, she asked for books. She asked for podcasts. I would recommend your podcast, guys. We fucked. Would it be a worthwhile investment of her time? I would just leave him with a sincerely kind of note, like a "Hey, P.S. We're not going to have sex." Because is that guy going to be fun to have sex with if he's that judgmental already? I I would assume no. So I would say, hey, by the way, I think life would be a little bit more enjoyable if you loosened up. Here are some here are some resources that you could read. Uh, uh, Tristan Terramino's podcast. I was just reading her anal sex book. Um, that's all about power play. Life is a dance with power. Get used to it, baby cakes. Yeah, I'm very petty, so I hesitate to. I'm a, and I'm especially petty towards heterosexual men, so I always hesitate to reward them for their bad behavior. And fucking this guy feels like rewarding him for like bad or judgmental behavior. That being said, you know, at certain points in my life, I do just want to fuck hot guys. So if she wants to fuck them, <laughs> I say lean into it. Be like, yes, I do have daddy issues, and then that kind of takes Spank the power back anatomy. for me. If you if you almost are like roasting him with his own untrue viewpoint of you and then you're like yeah i am i, I you're a you're a bad daddy i've been so bad and i, and I don't <laughs> understand our relationship choke me that's what i would do if you mock men um <laughs> sometimes it works yeah it's true is this good i feel like this is just a talk this is too 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 toxic for a savage love cast <laughs> <laughs> no 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 this is uh excellent advice i just you know sometimes i'm too Sometimes I'm too nice. I think back to when I was young and kind of uptight and I needed some guys to come into my life who were like, loosen the fuck up mm -hmm. to loosen the fuck up. But you know what? I had met those guys. They'd come into my life and my mouth and my ass. By the time I was 20, <laughs> I wasn't 33 and shaming the guys who liked me well enough to share with me what turned them on. Yeah. I was past it by then. Yeah. If, if this guy's a really hot 33-year-old, 34-year-old virgin, maybe you put up with this shit, but right. no. If he's been doing this to women all his adult life yeah. and has already telegraphed to you that he's going to make you feel bad about the things that turn you on, you should run. And as somebody who's tried to change men uh, personally, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that that may be the, the single thing that I wish I could impart to all my female listeners, all the women out there who listen to me, pussy ain't chemo. It ain't going to cure him. <laughs> you can throw your pussy at him over and over and over again. It's not going to make him a better, healthier person than the person that he is. That is so and true. so many women think their pussies are chemo, that if they I just keep really giving do. him this transfusion long enough, he's going to get better. And, and how, think of what you could do with that energy. Think of the projects you could start, the creativity you could discover within yourself. Just take that energy off of his dick and put it somewhere valuable. Yeah. Think yeah. of the 
guys who are 12 years younger that you could be fucking right now yeah. bringing up the way you would like them to be brought up. All right. Can I keep you on the line for a couple more calls? Absolutely. Hi, Dan. I want to know what is the best way to find a person willing to sleep with you uh, when you are an old virgin and you don't want to be. So say you're a fat black female past age 35 who has never had a romantic relationship in your life and you're not good at maintaining friends and you don't have good role models to learn how to meet people and, you know, find a mate. So how do you go about finding somebody who will accept you long enough to sleep with you? I would love to find someone to help, you know, me get rid of this problem. But given my age and my weight and my looks, I feel like that ship has sailed and the pickings for me, for someone like me, are slim. So what can I do to improve my odds at losing my virginity? I hear from a lot of people who are in this situation. They've somehow made it into their 20s, 30s, and they are still virgins. Hey, you got this. This woman needs to love herself. She needs to you, you got to sell yourself, right? Like to a sexual partner for a romantic partner, you know, when you're on the dating apps and stuff, you're selling yourself. You want to put your best foot forward. And I think she doesn't like a lot of things about her. And so I would say to get to know why you don't like those parts, either be at peace with them or make improvements. What where do you want this to go? And then from there, you will attract a sexual partner. Also, uh, men love a virgin woman. Are you serious? Like they would go nuts over that. So so there is a partner for you and she cites right out of the gate that she's big and there are men who love oh, big yeah. women and there are a lot of big women out there who don't believe men when they say that there are some men who like big women who shame those women because they feel bad about being attracted to big women you have to get away from those guys yeah but a guy's gonna come along who's into you at the size that you are and you just have to kind of believe him and get on that dick yeah I think it is all about branding, like Christina said. Like, you just have to make yourself, you have to believe, whether or not you believe in your mind, you have to make other people believe that you are a sexual, unwanted being. And then other people will believe it because other people don't really know what they want. I think I think TV proves that. Like, they'll just take whatever you give them. Um, and then <laughs> Especially straight guys. You, uh, and then you'll start to believe it yourself as well. Also, she's not even looking for a partner, right? She's just looking for a sexual partner, not even like a romantic partner. So just to get fucked... That's that's it's not that it's not that hard. I think she's just gone so long without having sex that it seems like this huge mountain in front of her, as with anything that we leave for a long time and and kind of think about and ruminate over. Um, but just, yeah, get out there in a in a hot outfit. And I think someone will like what you're selling, even though you're giving it away for free. Your comedians. Uh, I hear from a lot of people in this caller situation who describe themselves as awkward or antisocial. <laughs> There's a lot of awkward antisocial comedians out there who are getting laid right now. Oh, not, yeah. I don't think this is always the impediment that some folks think it might be. Yeah, yeah. no, it's not. I mean, especially men, men, awkward men, as far as comedians are getting laid more, Christina and I, <laughs> like, have, I, I think Christina had sex one time on the road. I don't think I've ever had sex on the, on no, the road unless I, I brought my boyfriend with me. But yeah, people like awkward it's that can be a kink in and of itself. Like, oh, it feels like she doesn't even know how to have sex. And then the lady can be like, gotcha, I'm a virgin. I actually don't. <laughs> and it's something you can bond over. Like, yeah, someone in this situation might hide this. They're not going to put out there on their, you know, 
dating profile. I'm awkward. I'm a little antisocial. I'm a virgin. Because they're afraid that will repel people. What it might attract is someone who's in the same boat, who is also a virgin, also awkward, also feels antisocial. And you will have all those three things in common, which is a good place to start. Yeah, that's a yeah. good pair. Oh, I hope she meets someone like that. That's a good pair. And then you could just discover each other's bodies. What fun. How, and how often? I've never had sex with a virgin. Like, what a cool thing. Yeah. And humor goes a long way. I think the other way and like if you if branding herself as like amazing doesn't work for her, feels um, not genuine. She can go the humorous route and kind of the way she pitched herself on the call be like, uh, I'm I'm old. I'm fat. I'm a virgin. Come fuck me. You just have to be careful that whoever answers that ad uh, won't disrespect you and will find humor in it as well. And remember that if you put that out there, the first person who responds to that <laughs> pitch isn't going to be the last person. You don't have to take whatever comes your way. You can exactly. still, putting that out there, be choosy. Dick is plentiful. Yes. Dick is plentiful. It's boundless. Hi, Dan. I am calling because I have been in a long-term, mostly monogamous relationship for 25 years, almost, with my husband. And we recently opened it up a couple years ago for me being with women and he's not interested in being with other people mostly he's kind of open to a three-way but in general because of cuck week I've been thinking maybe we could try to develop a cuck relationship but I don't know if that's even realistic to come at it from this way where it being my idea he really um, does get jealous and is worried about me leaving which I've tried to reassure him isn't going to happen or you know, that that's not my intention with this whole process, but it's more about exploration since we've been together since we were teenagers and me being bisexual and all that. Is cuckolding a thing you guys have ever discussed on your show? Is it a kind of relationship either of you have ever been in? Dan, I am a cuck. I love cuckolding. It's a kink that I I discovered with a partner that I was with for seven years. He was super nerdy about sex, and I kind of ended up talking about it on my podcast and that he was editing at the time. And he was like, you want to talk to me about this thing that you talked about? Uh, and it's talk about power play. That, to me, is the ultimate dance with power play. And it's like, it's like when you were a little kid and you played dress up and you wore like a doctor's outfit like that's cuckolding is like you're in this situation where I, and I've been cheated on before so I'm not sure exactly if that's the root of it but either way I really love it I love watching my partner fuck somebody else I think it's so hot when do you ever get to look at your partner while they're having sex with somebody else like you always get the view of having sex with them but you don't get to watch them have sex so that's part of it when you were cheated on by your partner you had no power or control when you did cuckolding with your partner even though you were technically being cheated on you were in control of it <laughs> it was so exhilarating i have ne i that is in my spank bank for the rest of my life i remember how aroused i was it was so fun that being said cuckolding if he gets jealous i i don't know that's a sensitive one like if my boyfriend would have brought that up to me i would have told him to go fuck off. It had to come from me because I was the one with wanting the, this dance with the power. So mm -hmm. he kind of has to want it himself. Cuckolding is like a, that's an extreme one to suggest. <laughs> right, it feels a little hard to be like, no, but you're gonna love it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it's a difficult thing to suggest when you're suggesting to someone else that they be a cuckold or embrace the inner cuckold that may not actually be in them. I think the caller is confusing what would be convenient for her yeah. with what <laughs> is possible in her relationship. You know, she wants to sleep with other people. It would be great if she'd accidentally 20 years ago married a guy who turned out to be a cuckold. Yeah. That would make what she wants easy. 
but you just can't. You can't suggest somebody be a cuck. People use it as an insult for a reason, which I honestly laugh at because I'm like, you think that's an insult, but I think it's a compliment. It's a very fun, enjoyable activity. Um, but <laughs> yeah, if, if, if saying, oh, you don't, we don't want to sleep with anybody. We've been together so long. How about you get humiliated while you watch somebody fuck me? I just don't feel like he's going to be down for that. Yeah. Yeah. That said, most people who are into cuckolding will usually say there was a time in my life when I was very jealous. And at some point that jealousy was a, a, a flip got switched and became it became eroticized. You could talk about that with your partner. But yeah, this is a Dan helped me hit the jackpot. <laughs> question like you gotta pray for that girl if i knew how to do that i'd be in las vegas like i think you have to ease into it by talking dirty talking that first like you you definitely cannot start with the just like in person actually watching me get fucked by someone else like you have to start (laughs) whispering that in someone's ear because i like i like talking about a situation like that with like my boyfriend or whoever when we're having sex but i haven't moved on to the action you know because i'll be like yeah i want to watch a girl uh suck your dick and then we'll ha- stop having sex and i'll be like did you really mean that and i'm like absolutely not uh absolutely i did absolutely <laughs> did not mean that if you did that you'll be in a lot of trouble um but it's very exhilarating while we're in bed and maybe one day i'll get to the next level so you gotta s- start small you can't start with like the porn yes. ending yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a very important distinction. Like people will talk about things when they're horny, when they're fucking <laughs> follow up during the refractory period. You need to ask a question when someone <laughs> is absolutely not horny about yep. whether that's something they want <laughs> in reality. That is the right time to check in. I do think, though, a lot of people who get into like crazy kinks or get into cuckolding or other varsity level <laughs> kink play often will talk about it a lot with their partner when they feel safe during sex. Yeah. And then, you know, for the first five years that they followed up after, the answer was no. And then they moved toward it. So who knows? Maybe someday soon you'll be watching somebody else suck your boyfriend's dick. And it will be exactly what you want. For now, now I make a lot of post-coital retractions, though. So, but maybe one day. You're right. (laughs) Maybe he'll wear me down. That's how Jerry Hollywell got in the Spice Girls. So anything's possible. (laughs) So, guys, we fucked... You've been doing it for what, 12 years, 10 years? Oh, God, no. Eight. <laughs> We've been working together for over a decade, but Craig and I have been doing Guys We Fuck for eight years. Is this your most successful long-term relationship? A hundred percent. Yep. It's the only one that I, it is taught me so much about how relationships are work, but they're enjoyable work and you have to prioritize fun. And it's, it's a relationship where we don't have sex. So we really have to nurture our, our working relationship in different ways, uh, because there is no fucking, so we can't have makeup sex. The affection and the connection between you two, it really comes across when I listen to your show. Uh, and and I enjoy it so much, and I would recommend Aww. it not just to the first caller whose question you took with the shitty younger boyfriend, but to all my callers uh, and listeners that they also listen to Guys We Fucked. It's great. Thank Aww, you. That thank means you so much. much that, me, that means, honestly, the most coming from you. Thank you guys for jumping on the phone today. I hope you'll come back. And I should have thought to invite you sooner. I'm a little in awe of you and your podcast, and sometimes it's hard for me to talk to people. Because I'm <laughs> No, just too we Catholic would love to come back. Shit. If you're in New York, please hit us up. We want to have you back on too. <laughs> and when I come on your show, I'll talk about watching my husband fuck other people. Yes. Oh, give me it. Yes. Hi, Dan, 20-something gay cis male calling from the East Coast with a question about threesomes, specifically um, that kind of inevitable moment if you have enough threesomes where the other two 
members of the party are really vibing well together and maybe not quite as well with you. In my case, it ends up sort of clouding the whole situation, not necessarily during, but more after the fact. I wind up sort of stewing in my jealousy, and that's kind of all I can think about, even, you know, discounting any of the fun or positive feedback I might have received during the encounter. So I'm wondering if you have any advice on what I can sort of tell myself to not feel down afterward about those sort of moments where my other two playmates are really sparking and I'm just kind of feeling like a flame out. I'm going to give you some slightly contradictory advice and by extension, everybody else out there listening, some slightly contradictory advice about threesomes. The first part would be to know before you go into a threesome that there will inevitably be moments where that threesome for a moment becomes a little bit of a twosome with somebody on the outside, not outside the building, not outside on the street looking through the glass, but somebody on the outside of that moment where, as you said, caller, the other two were vibing and you'll be outside that for a minute. And if that's not something you think you can enjoy, that moment where these two hot people that you're into are basically your bespoke porn performers in the room, uh, yeah, maybe don't have a threesome because that is almost inevitable. If you think about that moment and it makes you anxious or you've experienced that moment, caller, you can control for it. You can say to your threesome partners before your next threesome, look, threesomes inevitably, they're those moments where they become twosomes. Maybe that'll be you two. Maybe it'll be one of me and one of you. If it's me who's outside it, that's not a good feeling for me. So I want to be able to speak up at that moment and I want to be involved somehow or reintegrated into the action. And that has to be okay for me to say in the moment, like, hey, you guys, here I am. And for me to say it without rancor or bitterness or in a kind of sexy, playful way and for you guys to accept it in that spirit so that it's a good experience for all of us as we roll through that. Well, not, you know, not rolling on MDMA, you know what I mean? As we you know, roll around in a pile and enjoy this time together. And then when it happens, if you're the odd man out for that moment, you can say, Hey, Hey, hey I'm here. And then be pulled into the action. Now, what'll that look like? It could look like all focus shifts to you that these two guys who were a minute ago, making out with or 69ing each other or fucking each other, they pull out of each other or pull off of each other and just focus on you and your holes. Or you could be reintegrated into the action in a way where you're contributing to their pleasure and you feel like an active participant in their moment. You know, that can look like they're fucking you get behind the person who's fucking the person who's getting fucked and you wrap your arms around him and you play with his nipples or the other guy's nipples and he turns his head back and he makes out with you a little bit and you're part of the beast now with three backs instead of the person watching a beast with two backs be created. Or it, it could mean, you know, they jump off each other's dicks and get on your dick. Most people who have threesomes, who are having threesomes for the right reasons, that posits that there are some people out there having threesomes for the wrong reasons, where, you know, somebody wants to have sex with one person, not so much the other person, but the other person is the price of admission that they have to pay for that threesome. And that can become clear during the threesome. And that is painful. And if you are invited to have a threesome and you are only into one person, yeah, don't say yes to that. That's not going to turn out well for the other person. And if there's a scene, it's not going to turn out well for you either. But if everyone there at that threesome, that your next threesome is 
there for the right reasons because they're everybody's into each other. All three of these people are into each other. Nobody wants anybody. Nobody in that equation. No third of that threesome wants the other two thirds or one third or one of the thirds to have a bad time. So you having permission in advance to make it clear that you need to be pulled back into the action so you have a good time will make it likelier that you will have a good time. We'll make it likelier that not only likelier that should it come to that, you'll be pulled back into the action, but likelier that it won't come to that. Likelier that these two people that you're going to bed with are going to be conscious the whole time that the action needs to be three-way action the whole time. And don't do that thing that sometimes people do. They have a threesome and they think, ugh, that didn't go well. I'm never going to have a threesome again. Threesomes are terrible. Threesomes are great. And maybe I'm biased. I lost my virginity in a threesome. I've had a lot of threesomes. But nobody says that about twosomes. Or very few people say that about twosomes. Very few people have sex with one other person one time and then say, that didn't go well. I have bad feelings, hurt feelings. I'm never going to have a twosome again. I'm only going to have orgies, threesomes, group sex. Nobody does that. But people do that to threesomes and foursomes all the time. That didn't go well, therefore that'll never work, that can't work. I'll get hurt again in the same way if I do that again. Not a standard that we apply to twosomes. And it's recognizing that a threesome or a foursome is a higher degree of difficulty. It's not a standard that we should apply to threesomes or foursomes or moresomes either. Hey Dan, I'm a 22 year old gay trans guy living in the Midwest. I've been talking to someone I met on Tinder. Um, we've been talking for a couple weeks now, but he lives like seven hours away, so we haven't met yet, but we plan to meet in the next coming weeks probably. But as we're texting, we're starting to send each other more photos, and I'm realizing that he doesn't really look like his Tinder profile pictures. And I think he has gained a bit of weight and has some facial, more facial hair than his pictures display. And I'm not really into it, but I really enjoy talking to him and I like him as a person, but I'm not really sure how to stop talking to him. I'm not really sure how to cut it off just on the basis of me being unattracted to him now. Let's game this out. You don't want to cancel your first meeting with this guy. Why? Because he would realize then that you're not sexually attracted to him. And that would suck for him. That would hurt. So if you go ahead, if you go through with it and you meet up with him, well, then you're in the position of having to have sex with this guy, or he's going to realize you're not sexually attracted to him. And that's going to suck. And that'll hurt if you don't have sex with this guy. And so you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to feel under a great deal of pressure to spare his feelings by fucking him anyway, even though you're not attracted to him. Don't put yourself in that position. Don't meet with this guy. You're not going to meet with this guy in a week. You're not going to meet with this guy in two weeks. You don't have to keep talking to this guy now that you know that you're not sexually attracted to him. Now that you've determined that his photos that you were initially sent weren't representative, that is something that people do and people who use old or outdated or deceptive photos set themselves up for this kind of rejection. If we want to avoid being rejected by someone after they see more photos of us, you want those first photos to be current and representative and flattering, but accurate and 
they weren't. And so this isn't on you. You're not the asshole here. And they're not the asshole necessarily either. You've been swapping text messages. You've been DMing with someone, exploring through text, through DM, whether or not you want to pursue this further. And up to a point you wanted to, and now you don't. And yeah, that's going to hurt. That sucks. But we all come in for our fair share of that when we date. And this is why it's generally recommended if you meet somebody through an app, if at all possible, you meet up face-to-face within a day or two without making a huge investment of time, without swapping a million text messages, without creating a sense of intimacy, really. And in some cases, for some people, a feeling of obligation or commitment. If you can't meet up with somebody because you're hundreds of miles away, well, then you FaceTime with them. You get on a video app as soon as you can and you have a conversation and you see if the spark is there so that if it's not, you can shut it down. And how do you shut it down? Well, you could be direct You could tell him, look, you don't look like your photos, and so I'm not interested. I'm not attracted to you. That's a hard thing to say because that's a hard thing to hear. And anybody with empathy projects themselves into the experience of the person they're saying that to and kind of aches for them. So you have my permission to use the little white lie or the gloss that really carries the message that you want to send without being unavoidably or unnecessarily brutal. You can just say, look, you're a really nice person, but I'm just not feeling it. And so I don't want to meet up. If you want to chat again in the future, I'd be happy to chat. And then you shut it down. If they have a good reaction, if they take that information in stride, Maybe you can occasionally swap a message with them. Maybe one day you'll be in the same place at the same time and you'll be friends. A lot of gay people out there, their friends are people that they flirted with or hooked up with and then realized they had more of a friendly vibe than a romantic or sexual vibe. Maybe he'll be one of those people for you. If he reacts badly, if you say, look, I'm just not feeling it and so I don't want to meet up and he blows up at you or begins to scream at you, you know, all caps, DMs, Block him, but don't meet up with him. Don't meet up with him, please, for your own sake. Don't meet up with him. The same part of you that's hesitating to tell him right now what you know, that you're not interested, not attracted to him, if you are in the same room with him, that same part of you is going to hesitate. And in that moment of hesitation, you may wind up in a situation where you're being sexual with someone that you don't want to be sexual with to spare their feelings. And when we do that, when we're sexual with someone that we're not into to spare their feelings, it's our feelings that get hurt. We let ourselves down. Hi, Dan. I'm a tech savvy at risk youth. I am a 29 year old bisexual woman who pretty recently got into a dom sub relationship. And the man that I'm with really wants me to peg him. That's all well and good, but the problem that has arisen for us is that I don't know how to teach him how to clean his ass. I tried getting him to douche, and 
we talked about it afterwards and he was like, it made me feel really bloated, which is fine. I know there are other ways, but he's also not interested in fasting and I'm not interested in forcing him to change his diet because of an eating disorder. So I'm not really sure how I can peg him and fist him and eat his ass without knowing he's clean. Are there other workarounds for this? Well, I guess he could get a voluntary recreational colostomy and reroute his waste to a hole in his stomach and leave his rectum and lower GI tract all for you. Look, he tried douching once and it sounds like he put too much water up there, which is how he ended up feeling bloated. He might want to give douching a try Again, if douching isn't something that he's willing to try again, he doesn't have to fast. He doesn't have to starve himself. He just has to be regular. Does he get enough fiber in his diet? Can he take fiber supplements if he's not getting enough fiber in his diet? When he has a bowel movement, is it a good, solid, large one, and he's kind of empty and good to go? Well, then, in that instance, in that case, you don't even have to necessarily douche. Back in my day, you kids today with your douching and starving before bottoming, we didn't do that. We just kind of got to know our own butts and knew when we were good to go. We were, we had situational asshole awareness and we knew when we were clean and we knew when we were empty or we took our best guess. And if we guessed wrong, we pivoted to something else. If he showers, and scrubs his butt. You are safe to eat his ass. He's not going to accidentally suddenly take a dump in your mouth. If he can learn to douche properly, which is just to introduce water into the rectum and clean out just that area, you can safely peg him without plungering out everything he ate the day before. He doesn't have to fast. Fisting, people who do fisting, very aggressive, deep fisting, sometimes they fast a little bit. Sometimes they do a much deeper kind of enema cleanse, much deeper clean out. And you need to do that some hours before you're going to play. If he douched and was feeling bloated, that means he probably introduced a little too much water for just a regular going to get pegged douche. And he didn't give it enough time to work itself out. He should do a couple hours before you guys are going to play and walk around a little bit so that gravity takes care of it. If there's extra water up there, it's going to find its way out. All right. I have one other suggestion for you that works if you're really concerned about getting shit on your strap on and you're right to be concerned about getting shit on your strap on, getting shit on your dick, whether it's a biological dick or a strap on dick isn't pleasant except for the people that that is pleasant for, but let's not think about them at this moment. If you want to fuck his ass without having to worry about your strap-on, you can use what's called a female condom, an insertable condom. It's basically a trash can liner for his ass, and you fuck that. He slips that in, and then you lube up your strap-on, and you fuck him. You fuck that. Female condoms are now called internal condoms because it's not just females who use them. They're not just for vaginal sex and not all people who have vaginas are women and not all women have vaginas. And there are lots of guys out there who use female condoms for anal and your guy could be next. 
Hi Dan, 32 year old female here from the Midwest. I'm calling for some advice. My wife recently told me that she wanted to open up our marriage and my first reaction was a hard no and I laughed it off. She's always considered herself bi and only ever been with one man and one woman, me. I've only been with her as, a, as far as a woman goes, but I had a more promiscuous youth than her. After some arguing and talking, she assured me that it was about her need to explore and to not die without ever having sex with other people. She threw around the word divorce if I couldn't get on board with opening up the relationship because she felt so strongly about needing to do this. I took her seriously and I decided to do research into what an open relationship would be like, hence finding your amazing podcast that I listen to religiously now. I was beginning to see that maybe she does have other needs that I can't give her and I should let her explore, only to come back to home to me. We plan on starting therapy soon to navigate it all, but I felt like she was hiding something from me and acting distant. So I went through her texts and I found out she feels she's in love with her best friend of 24 years, who also happens to be married and, as far as we know, straight. She hasn't told her friend yet for fear of rejection, but it sounds like she would drop everything to be with her if she felt the same way. This made me feel like she really only wanted to open the marriage as a way out or the beginning of trying to separate. She doesn't know that I know her true feelings yet. I'm scared you'll tell me just to end it if we aren't compatible anymore, but I can't just throw away 14 years with her. I'm worried I love her too much that I'll let her do her own thing at my own painful expense. Accepting that you can't be everything for someone else sexually, romantically, emotionally, that's a sign of maturity. That doesn't mean that everyone who has accepted that they can't be someone else's everything, that they're not enough for someone else, has to open their relationships or is obligated to open their relationships. We can be realistic about that, that there may be some needs our partners have that we can't meet and so will be unmet. Or there may be some needs our partners have that are emotional if you're in a sexually exclusive relationship and that others can meet those needs for your partner. And that doesn't have to be a threat. That actually can be something that makes your marriage or your relationship more stable. Because there are fewer things your partner has to go without, fewer needs of theirs that aren't being met while they stay in the relationship with you. What you describe is something else entirely. It's not that you've accepted your partner has sexual needs that you can't meet and you want her to get those needs met because you want her to be happy and fulfilled and with you at the same time. You know because you snooped, you know things you can't not know. You learn things you can't unlearn. And you know sometimes people have a problem with snooping. I think snooping is something that can only be justified retroactively. Sometimes you find out something when you snoop that you had a right to know that you didn't know, this may be one of those instances. Because what you found out is not that your partner wants to get out there and fuck a few different people. What you found out is that your partner is in love with someone else and has always been in love with someone else and is prepared, it seems, based on what you found, is prepared to throw everything she has with you away for a chance at a future with this other person. You say she's known this person for 24 years. You say you're 32 years old. I assume that your partner, and you've been with your partner, you've been married to your partner for 14 years. I assume that means your partner is 
significantly older than you are. It may be that your partner is going through, remember those things? We used to call them midlife crises. Maybe your partner is going through a midlife crisis right now and is thinking about, you know, the road she didn't take, the truth she never shared or disclosed, and is a little mad, a little crazed right now. And whatever it is that you found, that you read, you say that this woman that your partner has been in love with for 24 years, who is straight identified, she's never told her how she feels. Maybe she feels an intense regret and is fantasizing about the life that she could have had had she told her and wondering how things might be different if she did tell her. That's not uncommon for people in marriages, long-term relationships, to think about the one that got away, that cliche, and to fantasize about it. And I don't know, best case scenario, what you found, whatever it is that you found, whatever it is that you read is yes, how your partner feels, but doesn't negate how your partner feels for you because people are capable of having intense feelings for the person that they're with, but also having intense longings for the person that they never told that they're because they never told they're not with and fantasizing about the life that could have been the alternate storyline. Maybe that's what your partner is doing. There is one way to find out, though, and that's go to your partner, tell her what you found, and ask her to be honest with you about what she's feeling. If she wants to open the relationship to have sexual adventures, if she wants to open the relationship, perhaps to initiate something with this other woman and have something with her, create something with her, have a moment with her, a weekend with her, or an ongoing thing with her that doesn't mean the end of your marriage. Maybe that's something you could wrap your head around. That would be polyamory, not openness. Maybe you could get there. But if she's just asking you, if she's being dishonest here, asking you to open the relationship because she's got one foot out the door and she's got plans for a new relationship, with this woman, if she can convince this woman to leave her spouse and run off with her, that's a very different thing. I don't think it's a betrayal, a deception, that your marriage can survive in its current form. I think your monogamous relationship is doomed. Your marriage might be, or it might not be. It very much depends on the conversations, the difficult conversations you are going to have to have with your wife. And you're going to have to tell her what you did. You snooped. You're going to have to tell her what you found because you can't unknow it. And you're going to model for your wife in that moment, being honest about what's actually going on here for you. And then you're going to turn to her and say, I need you to take the same risk I just took and be honest with me about what's going on with you. All right, before we get to listener response calls, let's read some Savage Lovecast listener tweets. Jory tweets, for the caller in episode 798 who found the magic erotica and can now get off from oral, what the fuck book was it, bitch? Don't keep your secrets to yourself. Damn, jealous. Jory wasn't the only person who was upset by that call. Maybe we shouldn't have run it because we don't have a phone number to call that person back and ask what it was that they were reading or watching. So call her in episode 798 who found the magic erotica. A whole bunch of Lovecast listeners want to know what that was exactly. Please, please 
Call us back and share. Zydel Rodriguez tweets, you don't throw away a dick every time you use it on a new partner and you don't toss out an expensive strap on either. Why not do what every biological dick haver does? Put a condom on it. Well, we would be in a wonderful world if every biological dick haver out there was responsible enough to put a condom on it every time. At least they could wash it. You can't put your bio dick in a dishwasher and like a silicone dick. Well, you could, you can, I guess, but you shouldn't. Still, it is weird how the same people who will eat an ass, someone else ate, ride a dick, someone else rode, sit on a face, someone else sat on, get all freaked out about a dildo that's been in someone else just once. I think it's a residual hang-up about a preference for partners who are virgins. We can't have those. We all know we can't have those. But our sex toys? Yeah, those can be virgin. And finally, Matt Austin tweets, Hey, Ottawa, want to get those protesters out of there quickly? Set up your own speakers and play all 797 episodes of the Savage Lovecast. I guess at full blast. They'll be gone before lunch. Matt writes, hashtag Ottawa occupation, hashtag Ottawa siege, hashtag flu trucks clan, hashtag Savage Lovecast. All right, I don't want anyone tortured with the Savage Lovecast, but it'll help bring things back to normal in Ottawa. I will endorse. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everybody out there who posted to your various social media this week about the Lovecast. We really appreciate it. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This is a response call to episode 798 with a caller who was afraid of marriage because of the potential for divorce and the financial struggle that could result in that potential divorce. As a lawyer, I know that we need to recognize more the potentials for prenuptial agreements to be a part of our working relationship as a couple. Prenuptial agreements aren't only for wealth imbalance. They can also allow a couple to discuss things before marriage, especially if marriage is important to them, and especially if they have financial considerations or concerns in general. What that can do ultimately is Eliminate that fear that people have for the back end, knowing that you already have an agreement in place should the unfortunate and worst thing happen to that couple um, ending in divorce. I think doing so for that caller, making that an option would be a really great idea, knowing that they have that fear connected to the commitment. And hopefully that allows them to focus more on that commitment and make sure they continue to maintain that strong marriage bond that they expect to when they enter that union. Hey, Dan, that little baby dyke needs to understand that there is nothing sexier for a lesbian to go into a new woman's home and see the drawer full of many different dicks. That means you've got a woman who knows how to fuck you well and knows what she's doing. And, of course, you know those dicks have been in all kinds of other women, but I trust she cleaned them, all right? Keep them and build a collection. Sometimes I want a little one. Sometimes I want a big one. Give me options. Hi, Dan. I loved your opening monologue on episode 798. Just a short footnote to that. Please tell people don't ever leave rose petals strewn all over a hotel room. It is a terrible mess for the housekeeper to clean up. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's show or a comment about some of the advice I gave on this week's show? The best way to get us your questions and your comments is to use the Voice Memo app on your phone and record your question or your comment and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. 
You can also call us at 206-302-2064. We prefer the voice memos, better sound quality, but we love your calls and your comments, your questions, however you choose to get them to us. I had a fantastic time this past weekend hosting the opening festival of Hump 2022 in Seattle, but shows will continue in Seattle, San Francisco, and Olympia, Washington through February and March, and I will be hosting again personally in Portland March 3rd through 5th at Revolution Hall. Then Hump 2022 hits the road going to over 20 cities all over the place throughout the year. Visit humpfilmfest.com to find out if Hump is coming to a city near you and to get your tickets today. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Guys We Fucked on Twitter at Guys We Fucked Know You, F-C-K-E-D. And check out Corian and Christina's new comedy special, Our Special Day, which is out now on their YouTube channel. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you again, as ever. Thank you always for downloading.